Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamakos Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And uh, I've got to admit, Sandu, I'm getting very, very engrossed in this uh, sports documentary streaming thing. I didn't mention this to you before we, before we came on air. I know last week we spoke about the uh, All or Nothing with Spurs. I think the next batch, if it hasn't dropped yet, it, I think it might have done. It might have dropped at midnight last night, so there might be three more episodes to enjoy. But I'm also watching Hard Knocks, the uh, the NFL, almost the NFL equivalent from HBO, and that is fascinating because that is taking you through the 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 moment where training camp's supposed to start, but obviously COVID has hit. So now we we're, we're used to seeing what they do on Fight Island and what they've done in Vegas with the testing with the UFC. Watching the NFL teams deal with it because it focuses on the two LA teams, the Rams and the Chargers. Um, it's really interesting and uh, how they're dealing with like Zoom calls with like forty players on it and stuff. It's uh, it's fascinating viewing. And we had all of the um, social justice stuff that kicked in as well with with the George Floyd and all the rest of it. So all of that is part of it. If if you've got access to HBO and you haven't seen it, check it out. There's only I think there's like four, I think we're four episodes in out of five. But it is, it is must-see stuff. Even if you're not a big NFL fan, it's amazing. I haven't seen Hard Knocks, uh, but I'm definitely going to put that on my watch list. But you are absolutely right regarding All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur. The the, the following three episodes. So what Amazon do is they, they release not just uh, the sports documentaries, but a lot of their shows in batches. So everyone's got a different uh, formula for it. Some will do an episode a week. Some will just drop the entire season in one go. Amazon like to do do them in batches. So last week episodes one to three dropped. This week we've got episodes three, four, sorry, four, five, and six. I haven't watched it yet, but it is on my to do list for uh, at some point this week. And I've got a feeling this is the kind of uh, part of this series where they deal with COVID uh, because the the bulk of the show, you know, obviously kicked in, you know, when Joe Zamorini took over, and shortly after that, COVID hit, and then. The, the rest of the season kind of plays out the way it did. But, um, but yeah, I love a good sports doc, I do, you know. Um, especially now, uh, we were kind of talking about this a little bit off air. Summer appears to be winding down, Simon. I don't know how it is in the UK, but over here, we're uh, we're in September now. And the, uh, the high 20 degrees temperatures seem to have gone away. Today actually reminds me of a typical day back home in London. It's gloomy, it's grey. It's miserable outside, and it's the kind of day you kind of don't want to go anywhere and just stay at home on the couch and, and just watch TV all day down long. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad that we got this uh, podcast to record today because <laughs> I haven't really done anything else that's uh, anywhere close to being productive otherwise today so far. Uh, I'll tell. I'll, I wish I'd done nothing productive today. I'm knackered. I'm absolutely knackered. Double shift day today, but um, Mondays are always my busiest day. But they finish strong because we have the Brit Pack every Monday night, and it's great fun. Now, Saturday night, we had uh, we had a UFC fight card, which we did a great selling job for at the weekend. Or sorry, leading into the weekend by saying that this is probably the weakest fight card we've had <laughs> since the pandemic hit, um, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't packed with stars. We got five finishes at the top of the card, um, and a big win for a big man, Alistair Overeem, born born in the UK, no less. Uh, getting the 47th, I think it was, victory of his professional career against Augusto Sakai. Um, had to weather a bit of a storm early on, Sandu, and then gradually turned the fight in his favour and finished the uh, the Brazilian with some nasty, nasty elbows in the fifth round. He's he's won so much in his career, and I know, I'm sure everywhere that anybody out there will have watched or listened anything talking about Alistair Overeem will be saying exactly the same thing. So forgive me if I'm a broken record. He's done virtually everything that you can do in the sport, except win a UFC title. And uh, he's 40 years of age. And uh, is he going to get it done, Sandu? Could he? Could he become a UFC heavyweight champion one day? Because that win puts him right back in the mix again, I think. I don't know if he's got enough time and uh, I don't think age is on his side with regards to getting the result to win a UFC heavyweight championship but I do think 
there are circumstances available to him in the current heavyweight division, the way things are all laid out, for him to potentially get one more crack at the title. That's what I think is definitely possible. I think Overeem on the weekend just kind of showed his ring generalship. Yeah, such a savvy veteran. Augustus Sakai was coming in, I think, on a five or six fight win streak. So let's put some respect on this guy's name. This wasn't some bum they just threw in there for Overeem to be. You know, here's here's a you know, in terms of Brazilian heavyweights, they don't they're not growing on trees at at the moment with regards to a new crop or a new generation of fighters coming through. So Augusta Sakai was def definitely kind of representing, uh, you know, that um, uh, box in terms of, you know, what he could mean to the UFC long term, especially with who they've kind of let go and who's about to retire or who has retired. But over him at 40, man, I mean, this guy, he's been fight He's fought in the last four decades, right? He seems to, you know every once in a while move to a different gym or a different camp to give him brand new looks. He, he continuously reinvents himself. And uh, and I thought the, the strategy was fantastic. He kind of, you know, like, like you said, weathered the early storm, right? And then just took control and uh, allowed his stamina and his gas tank to prevail uh, in the end. What a really, what a, what a great feel-good moment that was for fans who have been following not just over him, but I've been involved with mixed martial arts or with combat sports in general for, for a long time to still see someone over the last 20 years still be able to compete and get results at the very top level. So I was very, very impressed with what Overeem was able to, to produce on fight night. Yeah, super, super impressed. And uh, you make a great point about Augusto Sakai. The last time he was defeated prior to the weekend was at Bellator 179 in London, England. We were there. Uh, it was the Rory McDonald Paul Daly card. And he fought Czech Congo and lost by split decision in a fight that, if I remember rightly, wasn't all that great to watch. Um, surprise, surprise, Czech Congo's fights tend not to be all that great to watch. Um, and that one wasn't fantastic. That was his only career loss. Um, and as you say, he'd gone on a win streak. He'd most of them by finish as well. You know, he's, he'd, he'd gone through and he'd had a couple of split decisions against Andrei Olovsky, Blagoy Ivanov, but he'd gone on a win streak and beaten some good names, goes in there with the ream, looks good early on. I think the signs are, are still pretty good for Augusto Sakai uh, moving forward. I think he's still got plenty to give and uh, he's 29 years of age, so uh, he's got he's still got a fair amount of career ahead of him. You know, PK for a heavyweight right now. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's about, was it 37, 38? Is that kind of your peak now? So if that's the case, he's got a few years of growing to do before before he gets to that. So um, yeah, I wouldn't be too downhearted if I was him um, going all the way through to the fifth round before finally getting stopped. Over him, huge win for him. For him, it was a, a can't, you know, he could not lose that fight. If he loses that fight, then any lingering hopes that he's got of uh, getting himself up there to uh, to challenge for for the for the title again would have been just dead in the water. So, absolutely huge win for the demolition man, Alistair Overeem, who gets it done in the fifth round. Co-main event was an interesting one. Over say Peru taking on Alonso Menafield. Uh, I backed Alonso Menafield. I say backed. I I predicted on the MMA Junkie predictions that Alonso Menafield would win this fight. Shows what I know. He lost. Um, Ovin Sepru, second round knockout. And that was, I think, the big surprise. I think a lot of people, myself included, going in thought, this is a guy in Alonzo Menafield who his route to victory lies very much in the striking realm. And then you've got OSP who, yeah, he can stand and throw hands. But his skill edge appeared to be on the mat. You know, he's grappling. But it didn't turn out that way. Ovin Sepru knocks him out. It wasn't a TKO knockout in the second round huge win for him and uh he's he's gonna be he's one of those people that you don't really see him moving all the way up and getting a title shot anytime soon but he's a problem for people at 205 pounds he's so awkward to fight against he's got that really strange language style he's very athletic and uh, as he showed on saturday sandu he can bang as well he absolutely can i thought he made the right call to go back down to 205 uh, I think at heavyweight, you're just going to be oversized and overmatched by a lot of these bigger, 
bodies and i think for 205 he's he's absolutely ideal for that weight class and he needed a win you know and i thought this is again classic ufc matchmaking where you're throwing in someone who's not been to the absolute peak of the mountain he never won a championship but he did fight john jones for the title right and he's been yeah he's been there he's done that he's he's bought the t-shirt and uh, but he's also 37 right so i thought they thought you know, put him in there with someone like Alonzo Menifield, up-and-coming prospect, coming off the contender series, done well for himself, and uh, and use, you know, OSP as a name to help propel Menifield, but that was not the case. Just a beautiful kind of step-back, left-check hook, um, precision and power on display by Ovin St. Peru, and, and I believe that win means he's got the most wins in, uh, in light heavyweight competition for the UFC. I think he overtook John Jones, Um so a nice little kind of notch on his belt there. Where he goes next, I'm not sure. You know, it's kind of like a, a really... He's, in, he's in, in a bit of a weird spot because he's not been consistent over the last, you know, couple of years. He obviously had that little flirt with heavyweight, didn't go too well against Ben Rothwell, and he's kind of just alternated wins and losses at the light heavyweight division. I don't know if he can put together a, a run. Again, he's one of those guys that is probably loving the fact that John Jones has left the division now because it means... Even if you've fought him or fought for the title and lost, everything has hit the reset button. So I'm not sure if he can put together a string of wins against you know top-level competition to try and really kind of help him try and secure a title shot again in the next couple of years. But for the time being, I'm sure he'll be very, very happy with that performance and he can kick on from there. Yeah, I wonder whether they might look to match him with someone like Vulcan Ozdemir. They fought before, back in 2017, and Ozdemir won by split decision in that fight. So very competitive fight um, back in uh, in February 2017 in Houston. That might be one that they revisit. Volkan Ostomir is kind of sort of dropped down into that kind of no man's land just outside the contenders as well, where there's a few guys sort of floating around there who they need to start matching them up with each other to get one of them back into the mix. So maybe that's an interesting matchup for him moving forward. OSP, as you say, did fight for the title. He fought John Jones. Uh, for the interim belt as it was back then at UFC 197. And he broke his arm, I think, in like the second round in that fight, OSP. And he took Jones the distance um, in a in a, a real ballsy display. Um, he, he Obviously, it was a, a relatively clean win on the scorecards for Johnny Bones. But he's gone the distance with some good guys. You know, he's gone the distance with Vulcan Ozdemir. He's gone the distance with Dominic Reyes, who's fighting for the belt next. So... Um, interesting to see what he can do. If he can get himself a win and then maybe another one, who knows? You just don't know at 205. The, the, the division has been blown absolutely wide open now thanks to Johnny Bones moving up to heavyweight. So, you know, everything is up for grabs at 205. And who knows? You could, you know, maybe a few people, you know, catch COVID or people get injured. Opportunity knocks right now and uh, you've got to be ready to take it. And if a fighter can step in and step up, you never know. They might end up getting themselves in a title picture. Just look what happened to Gilbert Burns at welterweight. You know, I see him and Leon Edwards are chipping at each other on social media. Uh, today, um, I think it's still a travesty that, that Leon Edwards has not, it doesn't have a big fight coming up. Why is he not booked? This just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and uh, in the meantime, they're talking about Gilbert Burns maybe getting the next shot of the belt. When... Gilbert Burns' resume doesn't come anywhere close at welterweight to Leon Edwards. I'll kind of digress a little bit. But the the point of that is Burns had an opportunity that fell out of the sky. He took it. All of a sudden, he's a factor at 170. That could happen at 205 or any other division. So interesting to see what does happen for the likes of OSP uh, at 205. Alonzo Menefield, that's two losses in a row for him. Lost on the cards to Devin Clark previously so um he needs to right the ship and get himself back into the win column uh we've got to talk about the fight that preceded it though sandu michel Pereira versus zalim imadaev uh imadaev it is fair to say is a crazy man um he he was sort of demonstrably a crazy man previously uh almost uh having a full-on scrap with uh, max griffin uh I think it was either prior to the fight or after the fight when they when when, when they last met. Michel Pereira goes in there and uh, gets a rear naked choke finish, uh, third round. And Pereira was doing 
doing pretty good in the fight, I think. You know, he looked like he was he was doing all right. I want to talk to you about the finish, Sandu, because I didn't watch this fight live. I, I played catch-up on these fights the following day. I watched that Michelle Pereira finish. I didn't see a tap. I've got to be honest. I don't know whether I missed the camera angle, but I didn't see Zalim Imadeev tap to Michelle Pereira. It looked to me like he, he put his hand on top of his head to try and pull Pereira's hand off from the back of his head. And the referee just jumped in and stopped it. What did you make of that finish? I think the ref made a blunder. Um, much like I actually made a blunder just a few minutes ago by saying that OSP had the most wins in light heavyweight history. It's still John Jones, but he has the most amount of fights in UFC light heavyweight history. So I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way before anybody blows my, blows my social media up. Um, but yeah, the, the referee had a blunder, Simon. Um, Imadeev was literally just trying to grip the the wrist, the arm, the hand, just trying to you know get himself out of that precarious position that he was in in that uh, rear naked choke. And the referee kind of you know I don't know what he was looking at, what he was seeing, what angle he was coming in at, but I guess he assumed that to be a tap, and uh, he, he called the fight there and then. And I think Michelle Pereira is lucky he got a finish on his resume um, because I think that was kind of heading towards. Um, the judges' scorecards, but um, you know Michelle Pereira, outside of the the botch that was the ending by the referee, man, he's entertaining. Simon, he's just much watch must watch TV. You know, he's a wild man. He's jumping off the cage trying to do Showtime kicks. He's spitting in his palms, throwing open hand slaps. And he's dancing around, he's flipping, he's, he's just doing everything. He's got uh, His highlight reel doesn't even need to contain any knockouts or, or finishes. His highlight reel could just literally be all of his antics in the cage. It's, uh, it's actually quite refreshing because if you take that aside, he's really awkward to prepare against. If I'm a fighter, I just don't know what Michelle Perot is going to do in there. How do you prepare for someone like him? And physically... He passes the eye test. He looks good. He looks great. He looks like a physical specimen. Looks like an athlete. Um, he had a bit of bad luck against Diego Sanchez, but otherwise, he's you know got some decent you know wins on his resume. And I feel like you know with some good matchmaking, the UFC could use someone like him in the welterweight division just to kind of uh, you know keep things a little bit fresh there. And kudos to him. He used the opportunity. He got a win. Post fight interview. If you think what he does in the cage is bizarre. It doesn't get any more bizarre than A, calling out one of the hottest, biggest names in the sport right now in Jorge Masvidal, but asking to fight for the BMF belt. So this was hilarious. And, and like, I think he, I'd like to think he said all of this with a little bit of tongue in cheek because there is absolutely no chance in hell you're, you're going to get that fight, number one. We know that the UFC are most likely going to book him against Nate Diaz, according to UFC president Dana White, and we're going to get that rematch. But just to have the gall to say something like that, you know what's going to happen. The headlines, everybody on social, everyone's going to have a field day with, with a comment like that. And I tell you what, I'd rather take something outlandish like that versus generic fighter just saying, I'll just fight whoever the UFC want me to. At least he's got us talking. At least he's given us something more memorable outside of the fight. So kudos to Michelle Pereira. Michelle Pereira. Definitely. I one of my regular weekly features that I write for MMA Junkies called Call Out Collection. So what we do, I gather together every week all of the call outs. I, I document them and then I give my take on how realistic they are. And uh this one was 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 kind of fun because it wasn't in any way realistic, right? <laughs> I think everybody watching was like, okay, you're not gonna get that fight. However, there is some sort of method in the madness. Like, I know a lot of people will have just watched that call out and gone, what an idiot. He's wasted his opportunity there. Why didn't he call out someone sensible? What he's done, he's, A, he's inserted himself into a conversation. People are now talking about him. See that dude who flies around doing all that crazy shit? Now he's calling out Jorge Masvidal, right? Okay, he's overreached. That fight's not happening. But once you get past the fact that, okay, he's not getting that fight, who who is he going to get? Who should he get? If we can't give him Jorge Masvidal, let's give him a name. Let's give him someone. We can't give him uh, Jorge. Let's give him someone then. So who are they going to give him? Mr. Mike Perry, I reckon. Give him Mike Perry. I, 
it's becoming a bit of a trend whenever I have a welterweight fighter and they're really good and they're not quite ready to make, face the big names, I always end up thinking, God, Mike Perry would be a good matchup for him. But this one, Mike Perry actually would be a really good matchup for him. They're both. What's that in your microphone? <laughs> Is that a motorbike going past or something? I think so. Yeah. Or a helicopter? It's kind of weird because <laughs> I'm, I'm indoors and the windows are shut and uh, that I'm was on loud. the second floor. So that must have been loud on the outside, let alone on the inside. Yeah, no, that was a. Anyway, I think it's Mike Perry going past on the, on a big old Harley. Harley. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I actually think like think about it. They're both absolutely mad as a box of frogs, aren't they? You've got Mike Perry, yep. uh, crazy man. You've got Michelle Pereira, completely different type of crazy, but still crazy nonetheless. Put them both together and just sit back and light the blue touch paper and let it all let it all happen. I think that would be awesome. But um, yeah, he's never going to get the BMF title fight. That 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 is just not happening. He's he's probably the only way he's ever going to face Jorge Masvidal is if they end up bumping into each other in a lift, right? That, that, that that's as close as they're going to get. But there is no doubt that he is an entertaining fighter. You put him in the right fights, as you say, he will entertain every time he steps in the cage, win or lose, win or lose. And he's the sort of guy that. If you're putting together like a big super card of fights, like a two or three title fight card like the UFC like to do, like end of the year or international fight week, under normal circumstances we're talking there, obviously, you put your two or three title fights at the top, then you put a few crowd pleasers in just underneath, don't you? Just to really build the anticipation. Cowboy Cerrone quite often gets a call up for these sort of events. Diego Sanchez often gets a call up for these types of events. Michelle Pereira, I think fits in the same sort of bracket where it's one of those, he's fighting, I'm watching that. You know, there doesn't have to be a belt on the line. Just put him in against someone who will give us, you know, as give as good as he gets, Some rather than someone who's just going to take him down and wrestle him for five rounds or three rounds. Put him in there with someone who fancies his chances of knocking him out. you got yourself a barn burner of a fight just ready to go. So I love watching him fight. He's absolutely nuts. I remember watching... Do you remember when the the, uh, the videos first started hitting social media? He was fighting for a South Korean promotion called Road FC, and that's when we really first started seeing him. And he was he was literally climbing the cage and moonsaulting off the cage at that point. Um, and we're like, well, this dude wants to fight in the UFC. It's like he's not going to do anything in the UFC. He's a lunatic. Comes to the UFC, okay, yeah, he's lost a couple of fights, but he's not done too bad, has he? He's not done too bad. I can't wait to see. Can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah, and Zalim Imadayev, you know, ain't no joke either. You know, he, again, he's just part of this generation of fighters coming from uh, from Europe, from Russia, that just seems to be almost like coming off a conveyor, conveyor belt. You know, it's like Khabib 2.0, 3.0, Yair Rodriguez, uh, you know, sorry, Zabit Magomed Sherapov 2.0, 3.0. These guys are coming in and they're tough, they're gritty, they're really hard to break down, uh, which is why, you know, going back to the actual end of the fight, it was quite fortunate that he was able to kind of actually get, you know, a finish, quote unquote, against Imadaev. But Michel Pereira's box office, man, like if he's on a main card, you know, it's going to be interesting, you know, it's going to be fun to watch and, and, and I'm all about it. Um, outside of the, those three fights that we've covered, Simon, I mean, it was a seven-fight card in total. We had uh, Andre Muniz uh, defeat Bartos Fabinski uh, by submission armbar in the first round. Bartos Fabinski, we know, obviously, you know, got that result against uh, Darren Stewart earlier on in the year on Cage Warriors' makeshift card when COVID really first hit. Uh, and we had Brian Boom Kelleher, who got a, a finish in under a minute against Ray Rodriguez via guillotine choke. Ray Rodriguez obviously stepping in on hours' notice to, to help to actually um, to step in and, and kind of keep that fight alive for, for Brian Kelleher, who, by the way, walked out to Stone Cold Steve Austin's music, which I thought was a, was a nice touch. That was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, then obviously just to round out the card, Simon, Vivian Araujo defeated Montana De La Rosa by decision, and Hunter Azure defeated Cole Smith by decision as well. This fight card was the shortest bout, a number of bouts for a card, that I think... I saw reported since 2005. Yeah. Um, tough two. Minute. Tough two finale. Yeah. And we, we've spoken about this a lot on the show for the last couple of months. We are super appreciative that 
we have fights every weekend, especially by the number one organization in the world, the UFC. Are these fight cards a little bit watered down compared to what we're normally used to? Yes, and there's an obvious reason for that. It's because there's a lack of um, fighters for them to actually you know, try and bring into Vegas, which is why they've got to fight Ireland, you know, to get the Europeans and uh, the fighters that are based in Asia and Brazil and other parts of the world involved there as well. So, and then on top of that, you know, they're still dealing with COVID, you know, come fight week, come the weigh-in day, come the morning of the fight, we're getting positive results, which actually hopefully means that the testing is, is, is going well, they're getting results, and whenever there's a positive result, they pivot, they, they figure out a way to resolve the situation. Can things be better? Yeah, of course. You know, but I'm sure they're firefighting this on a minute-by-minute minute basis when it comes to fight week. And you've got 20 or 30 or 40 new people flying into Vegas, you know, from all parts of the country. And look, you know, I'm sure everyone's, you know, been able to follow how things are you know, being handled in the US when it comes to COVID. It hasn't been great from, from a government level top down, you know. So to try and you know keep a sport alive and, and, and running during this unprecedented time in uh, in our human history with dealing with a pan with dealing with a pandemic doesn't exactly happen every every couple of months. It was, we're talking every you know once a century. This is uh, serious stuff. So not to get too off topic, but I'm still appreciative. It was a short night uh, in the end, and I guess bringing it right back to the top, Simon. We talked about Alistair Overeem getting that win over Augustus Sakai. The one thing we didn't talk about is or discuss is who we think Overeem should fight next because he's got a couple of wins now, back-to-back -back wins. He keeps kind of putting out this final charge. So he, he kind of, you know, through a bit of self-promotion has put on this angle that this is his final run to hopefully get a title shot. He's currently ranked number five. You've got a few guys that are ahead of him, two of them, are essentially you know, going to be fighting in November. That's Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. It looks like Stipe Miocic is going to end up fighting Francis Ngannou, and that's what Dana White uh, has been talking about for a while. So it kind of only leaves a couple of options, in my opinion, Sai. You've got the Jarzinho-Rosenstruck rematch, which, if we you know go back to the end of last year when that first fight took place, Overeem was winning that fight. Overeem was on his way to securing a decision on the judges' scorecards before Rosenstruck busted Overeem's lip wide open and scored a very, very late stoppage uh, TKO victory there. So you've got that. But what about introducing John Jones to the heavyweight division? That would be an interesting fight as well. They, they did train together once upon a time um, at uh, Jackson Winkle John. Then again, you could probably say... Overeem's probably trained with every <laughs> legitimate heavyweight in the world, given how many different camps and gyms he's been part of. But what do you think, Sai? What do you think makes next uh, sense next for, for Overeem? And also, do you think he's maybe just one win away from vying for a title shot? Yeah, I think I don't think the John Jones fight will happen just for one simple reason. I don't think John Jones will step up to heavyweight and not get an instant title shot. I, I genuinely think that he will get an instant title shot. And I think it is just a case of putting him into the right timeline for that to happen. I think the, the Stipe Francis and Garnu fight has to happen first, but also Jones is moving up a weight class. He's going to want a bit of time to bulk up and get himself fully ready, get himself used to, to training full pelt as a heavyweight rather than as a light heavyweight. So I think that the natural thing is for Jones to just, almost take himself out of the equation for maybe three, four months, get himself get himself in as a proper, legit UFC heavyweight. Then he goes straight in and gets the winner of uh, Miocic versus Ngannou. I think the Jozino Rosenstruck rematch is the fight for, for Alistair Overeem. I think, uh, as you say, Blades and uh, Derek Lewis are booked up. It doesn't make any sense for the Reen to be facing anybody ranked below him at this point in his career. It has to be the Rosenstruck rematch, I think. As you say, he was winning that fight. And he, to this day, disputes the fact that that fight was stopped. You know, it was stopped with just seconds left. So um, he said he wasn't he wasn't knocked out as such. He doesn't say, he doesn't think he was knocked out. He, he felt that he could have gone those last few seconds. Had he done so, he would have won on the scorecard. So I think 
I think that is the fight to make. And then if he gets past Jozino, then yeah, he's right in there. Um, if you take the view that John Jones will face the winner of uh, Stipe and Ngannou, you then got yourself a title eliminator between the winner of Overeem and Rosenstruck and the winner of Blades and Lewis. So it's kind of a, a bit of a long and windy road for him still. He's going to have to win two more, I think, to get a title shot. Unless he absolutely blasts Jarzino Rosenstruck out of the water in such devastating fashion that nothing that Blades or Lewis can do will see them leapfrog him. Um, then I, I do think you've got this mini tournament going on uh, at the top of the heavyweight division. So beat Rosenstruck, beat the winner of Blades and Lewis, and then you'll face the winner of John Jones versus Miocic or Ngannou, however that pans out. But what that means is, even in a best-case scenario, unless we get a, a fighter drop out and he steps in, the best-case scenario for Overeem is that he fights for the belt end of next year. I think that is, that's probably as early as he can expect. Um, so he's still, got, he's still got a fair way to go before he can get a shot at that belt again. And... Uh, but he's got it in him to do it. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it all pans out. Heavyweight is an interesting division right now. I mean, light heavyweight has suddenly become interesting as well, but so has heavyweight. And uh, I like the fact that Jones isn't just stepping in and leapfrogging everybody from day one. We're letting the Nagano fight happen first. Then I think it makes sense for him to dive in there. But yeah, the ream is a factor, no doubt about it. But I think he's going to have to win at least two more to uh, to get himself that shot at the gold again. That was this past weekend's UFC Vegas 9 Fight Night event from the Apex. We've got a couple of more events in the Apex, Simon, and then we're heading off uh, to UFC Fight Island, which, if you if, if even like looking back in hindsight, I feel like the Abu Dhabi government has been able to do a much better job in that Fight Island bubble than the UFC have been able to um, in in the apex with regards to dealing with COVID. And that may just be because of the fact that we're talking about America versus the UAE and um, the, the population and how you know things have been dealt with uh, from, from a government level down. But we got confirmation uh, over the last week that we're essentially going to have the next series of Fight Island events bookended from UFC 253, Adesanya versus Costa. Uh, that's going to kick off Fight Island and it's going to end with UFC 254, uh, Khabib Namagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait until we get back to Fight Island because uh, I, I just feel like it helps freshen things up every once in a while, especially with you know going back and forth and seeing some fresh faces, new faces uh, from different parts of the world compete. So before we kind of review or sorry preview some of this weekend's uh, events and cards and fights, Simon, big news, massive news. Um, we thought we had a big last week with the, the, the prospective return of one Brock Lesnar. Well, if I'm a betting man, I think the guy that we're about to discuss will probably uh, end up fighting way before Brock Lesnar. If Brock Lesnar even in fact does fight ever again. And of course, we are talking about one and only Nick Diaz. Ariel Helwani yesterday reporting that Nick Diaz has essentially completed like a 12-week a or so um, hardcore training regimen. Uh, he's been on his diet and uh, he's done a, little, a bit of a test weight cut. And according to his manager, he's you know floating around the 165, 175 pound uh, you know weight region, and um, he looks good. The video that went viral yesterday, uh, he looked good. He looks healthy. He looks like he's fit. Um, I wouldn't say he looks to be in fighting shape, but he's not too far away from it. And the fact that he's actually put in this kind of effort over the last couple of months uh, definitely says to me that he, he definitely wants to fight again. It looks like, again, according to Ariel Hawani, that he's eyeing an early 2021 return. Of course, news like this has got you know, the MMA community a buzz about whether people even believe him fighting again, who should he fight. The, the one thing I need to see right now, right now, Simon, is I need to see and hear an interview. I want to see what Nick Diaz says, what he sounds like, because the last time he gave an interview was with Ariel Helwani, I believe it was last November. 
and it, it, it was kind of uh, upsetting to see him in that kind of state. I, and I know he's always had kind of um, um, issues with regards to when the when the red light turns on and, and then the camera's on him and he's being asked questions, he, 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 he has a little bit of discomfort in that environment. But this was something different. And of course, if you've been following Nick Diaz on social media over the last couple of years, uh, I'm sure the majority of the time you've seen him in a club in Vegas at three or four or five in the morning, right? So he's definitely been partying pretty hard um, over the last half decade. Uh, especially since that Anderson Silva fight. So if he's kind of gone away from all of that, especially I think it would have helped because of COVID, clubs aren't open, number one. Um, uh, but if he has kind of recommitted himself to training properly and, and wants to make a comeback, I'm all for it. But Simon, who should he be fighting? And do you believe we will actually see Nick Diaz once again back in the octagon? Well, here's the thing, right? You said you want to, you want to hear what he has to say before you start getting properly excited about this. I want to see something. I want to see his name in the USADA testing pool. That's what I want to see because that is effectively you writing down on a piece of paper saying, I'm getting ready to fight because you don't voluntarily offer up your bloods to some rando who turns up at your front door um, unless you're, you're doing it for good reason. And that is what you're going to have to go through be in that pool for six months before you can fight again. So if he's in it as of now, that means it, that takes him through to February next year. So we're talking early 2021. That means he's got to get in the testing pool pretty sharp. So that's number one. Secondly, if this happens, if he is genuinely coming back, the number one fight I would like to see him in, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. That is the fight I want to see. That is a fight that, has happened before. It would be a rematch. It would be uh, a fantastic fight. Obviously, they fought back at UFC 47, Sandu. UFC 47, April Crazy. 2nd. He says scanning through the fight records. April 2nd, 2004. Uh, and uh, he knocked out Robbie Lawler in the second round in that fight. Um, now, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since that particular fight. Um, it'll be it'll probably be about seventeen years on by the time Diaz gets himself in the cage, um, so that might be some sort of some sort of uh, UFC record, the longest distance between UFC rematches. Uh, so that would be an interesting one. I think Robbie Lawler's at that point in his career where um, you know his form's a bit up and down. I think he would benefit from having a fight against a big name, um, but obviously one that doesn't necessarily affect the championship picture. Nick Diaz isn't coming back for a tune-up fight. He's going to want an, um, a fight that fires his imagination and maybe a rematch with, with Robbie Lawler might be the one. The other one, if you want to go a little bit further up the scale and you want to be a bit more outlandish, uh, sling him in there with the, the BMF. Stick him in there instead of Nate Diaz. Uh, basically pull brother rank on him and say, Oi, you've had your go. Uh, big brother's turn now and uh, get him in there with, with Jorge Masvidal the argument against that of course is Nick Diaz hasn't fought um, since when was it 2013 is it yeah well he hasn't won since 2013 he fought Anderson Silva in 2015 so uh, you know we're talking five years it'll be six years by the time he fights again uh, that is a long time to be out of the game to then get in there with someone like Jorge Masvidal so um I don't know if that's a realistic option, to be honest, but I think I think the Robbie Lawler fight makes a lot of sense. I like that one. I'm absolutely in agreement with you, Simon. I think that is the perfect fight to make, especially when you look at where Robbie is right now. He's obviously not going to get uh, a big, bigger fight than a Nick Diaz rematch right now at this stage of his career. Um, I think he'd sign up for that in a heartbeat, especially the fact that it's an opportunity for him uh, to get some revenge as well. It's crazy to think that his last win was against BJ Penn back in October of 2011 at UFC 137. So by the time he fights again, it would have been a decade since his last victory. I was actually at that fight. I was at UFC 137 at the Mandalay Bay. And um, it was one of my favorite, it's, it's still to this day, is one of my favorite 
memories of being uh, in Vegas for a big fight. It doesn't get any bigger than Nick Diaz versus BJ Penn, essentially in their prime, going at it, two absolute warriors. This is back in the day when they were still doing three three round main events for UFC pay-per-views. And that wasn't even a title fight. That obviously uh, replaced the GSP fight, who was initially you know, originally in the main event. Man, Nick Diaz, he still moves the needle, Simon. He still gets people fired up. He still, you know, has a hardcore following and a hardcore fan base um, that has kind of stuck with him throughout all these years, even all throughout the years of inactivity. I tell you what, though, from what I've seen so far, you know, in the comments, I think people are more interested and more excited and more enthusiastic about the possibility of Nick Diaz fighting now than they were perhaps two or three years ago. I remember when things like this were talked about, Dana, they were actually talking about making the Robbie Lawler fight a couple of years ago. And even back then, people were like, oh, I don't really want to see Nick Diaz fight anymore. You know, let him enjoy his retired life. It's funny. I don't know if it's something in the water for 2020 or, or what, but... If, the fans have turned. The fans are interested. They want to see Nick fight. And um, I think the video that went viral this week has done a lot uh, to help persuade people that, okay, look, Nick's taking this seriously. It looks like he's in decent shape. He's not partying um, anymore. Uh, let's see what a, a focused Nick Diaz looks like in 2021. So I tell you what, though, here, here's, here are the odds, right? Here are the top seven or eight fighters, according to the odds makers, who are uh, favourite to fight Nick Diaz next. And I'll run through it from top to bottom. Favourite is Jorge Masvidal, 3-1. Then it's Robbie Lawler, 7-2. Then it's Conor McGregor, 4-1. Carlos Condit, 9-2. Mike Perry, 7-1. Darren Till, 8-1. And then Anson Silva, 9-1. to one. And of the bunch, Darren Till has already bit. <laughs> he threw out a tweet earlier on, um, essentially saying, hey, if Nick Diaz wants to come back, I'm the biggest fight outside of the middleweight champion. Now, love Darren Till. Uh, I think, um, you know, he's he, he knows how to have some fun on social media. You've got a fight booked, booked against uh, Jack Comanson, A, and B, I don't want to see Nick Diaz fight a middleweight. If he comes back... It has to be at optimum weight class, which is welterweight for him. And so I don't think the Darren Till fight is happening anytime soon. But kudos to Darren Till for shooting his shot. Because he, I tell you what, this is the Nick Diaz lottery now. Whoever ends up fighting him knows there's going to be a lot of promotion, a lot of buzz, a lot of, a lot of eyeballs. So whether it's a legend, someone in his peer class from way back when, whether it's Robbie Lawler, or a, or a Carlos Condit, or whether it's an up-and-comer that wants to make a name off him, like a Leon Edwards, for example, to try and keep him busy. Um, or if it's someone that can match him with that superstar status, like a Conor McGregor or a Jorge Masvidal. This is a story to keep an eye on in the coming weeks and months, for sure. Do you know what? I, I hadn't considered the Conor McGregor thing. Um, in many ways, it makes a lot of sense. right? Conor McGregor as a championship threat... As someone from in the meritoc, in kind of like the UFC meritocracy stakes, he kind of isn't really a factor at the moment. You know, he's not he's not fought and won a fight at lightweight um, yet in the UFC. Uh, yet he's chasing the lightweight champion, um, who he's already lost to by stoppage. Um, he has got a win over uh, a veteran crowd pleaser in uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He's also got a win. Over Nick Diaz's brother, twice. Uh, yeah, he's one and one with Nate Diaz, of course. So, I think you have to do the trilogy fight first. I, 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 I can't see a situation where it makes more sense to book him against uh, Nick Diaz than it does to book him against Nate Diaz. That to me just doesn't make a lot of sense in that respect. However, if for some reason Nate Diaz is unavailable like he's fighting Jorge Masvidal for the BMF belt, which is what looks like might be about to happen. Um, maybe you put them on the same card. You put them both on the same card. Connor against Nick Diaz. Maybe that's feasible. I don't think, I don't think Nick could turn around quickly enough uh, in order to put them both on that, on that same fight card. I think the Masvidal versus Diaz card is likely to be this year, probably back end of this year. So, 
But you imagine that, though. You have Nick and Nate on the same card. Chuck McGregor in the mix as well. It would be it would be electric. That would be that would do some serious serious pay per view business. Um, and but the the idea of of uh, Nick Diaz and Conor McGregor, I think works on on many levels. The only fly in the ointment is his brother, because that's an even bigger fight. So I don't know. I mean, you mentioned Anderson Silva. Okay, that was the last fight that we saw, but let's not forget that fight sucked as well. So um, it was one of those great on paper crap on canvas fights you know it it didn't deliver at all the only thing it gave us was the was the uh, the gif or the meme of uh of uh, of nick diaz laying down on the uh on, on on the mat and mocking anderson silver the fight didn't really deliver so i don't know why they would rebook that that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me the condit fight condit condit won that fight um that was a very tactical fight that wasn't a huge sort of back and forth scrap Condit was basically beating with leg kicks in that fight. I remember watching that one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Of those names you mentioned, I just think I just think I keep coming back to Robbie Lawler. I just think Lawler is the obvious pick for me. I don't see. I mean, if I could pick anybody, anybody, any promotion, it'd be Paul Sentex Daily because that fight deserved a rematch ten years ago, and we never got it. Or say ten years ago. Eight years ago, because it was in twenty eleven, so it needs to be after the after then. So yeah, I I that that fight deserved a rematch. Um, unbelievable fight, a one round classic. Um, Daly and uh, Daly and um, Nick Diaz. Obviously, we can't do that. So yeah, give me Robbie Lawler. But let's just hope it happens. Let's just hope it. We want to see him in the USADA testing pool. Then we want to see some Instagram shots of him actually hitting hitting the bag, hitting the pads. Rolling with his brother, and then book the fight as early as you possibly can. UFC, if you know he's coming back and you know he's in the testing pool, book the fight as early as possible and slow build that thing for as long as you can. Because by the time he steps in there, it's likely to be probably the one and only time we see him. Right? He's been out for a long time, so let's tell the story. Go through all these old fights. They've got all the Strike Force archives. And that was when he was at his peak. Start running through this stuff and really slow play the build up to that fight. Then have the fight and just, you know, make it a real celebration of, uh, of, of, of Nick Diaz's career. And if that's the fight he goes out on, that's the fight he goes out on. But um, I think there's an opportunity for the UFC here. But the earlier they book him, the bigger the payoff at the end for me. I'm an optimist at heart and I always see the glass half full and half empty, but I've got a really good feeling about this time Nick Diaz is going to come back. And I think, you know, you're right. He, he's got to get into the USADA testing pool, has to avoid any positive marijuana tests because that's probably the, the most likely positive test that we could probably fear uh, for, for, for the Diaz brothers when it comes to uh, things on the, on the band list and all the rest of it and all that kind of stuff. But if he's going to come back... Like we talked about earlier on, Robbie Lawler's the fight to make. I don't want to see him against anyone that's going to dance around the cage like an Anderson Silva. You've got you want to have someone that's going to bring the fight to, to Nick, who's going to step forward, who's going to stand and bang, and really bring uh, the old Nick Diaz out of him, just to see if he's you know really about it at this stage of his life. And I think Robbie Lawler fits the bill perfectly. And again, I think it just makes sense. They're in that kind of same peer group. You know, they've been around together. I think I saw some a stat earlier on today. There's only two fighters who, out of the, the, the current roster of the UFC, the current roster, there's only two fighters who had made appearances before Nick Diaz out of the current roster, and that's Andre Arlovsky and Robbie Lawler. So you, what that tells me is we've had massive turnover, right, when it comes to the roster. Either fighters have retired, they've gone to one championship, or they've gone to Bellator, you know, or or other places, but Nick Diaz is still around. And the only other two fighters who are, who are still around back in the day that are a part of the current roster are Andre Olofsky and Robbie Lawler. So to have someone you know in your weight class that you've got history with going back to a couple of hundred UFC pay-per-view numbered events ago, that makes a lot of sense to me. So watch this space. Let's see how this uh, storyline progresses. Um, but touching on Bellator, Simon, couple of events coming up this weekend uh, in addition to the UFC. So 
you want to give us an update on on how things are going with Bellator and what we can look forward to this weekend? Yeah, we've got a, we've got a bit of a, a double header coming up this weekend on Friday night, September eleventh. Bellator two forty five. Um, couple of small cards. These Friday night is an eight fight card. Saturday night is a seven fight card. So um, not not a huge long night to get your teeth into, but. Some interesting stuff on offer. So the main event on Friday night is a light heavyweight rematch between Mr. Wonderful Phil Davis, former Bellator light heavyweight champion, of course, against former UFC light heavyweight champion, Lyoto Machida. Now, Davis beat Machida back in the day in the UFC. They're going to do it again. This time, the winner the winner's going to be right in there in the mix at light heavyweight in Bellator. And things are interesting in the UFC at 205. They just got interest in, in Bellator at 205 as well. It's probably one of their stronger weight classes, actually. They've now got a new champion in uh, Vadim Nemkov, uh, who looks the real deal at 205. Did a great job to, uh, to, to, to dethrone Ryan Bader. So now they're looking to position people to challenge him. Phil Davis, former champion. He'll fancy his chances. He's got to get past the dragon in the main event. You've got the debut of Kat Zingano, uh, moved across from UFC. Tough ask, because she's looking to win a belt at Featherweight, which, of course, is owned by Chris Cyborg. Um, so that's the matchup that she's eventually chasing. She's got Gabby Holloway in the co-main event. Ed Ruth, wrestling standout, uh, is has moved up to middleweight for this. He's going to be... Uh, he's, he's normally competes at welterweight. He's competing at middleweight on Friday night. And kicking off the main card is one of the most spectacular fighters in any promotion, Raymond Daniels. Uh, if you If you haven't... Seen Raymond Daniels' incredible knockout um, from a couple of years ago from right here in the UK on Bellator. Check it out. It is one of the most spectacular finishes you will ever see. Uh, Rafael Carvalho is on that card, former middleweight champion. He's not even on the he's not even on the main card. So uh, that's a solid Bellator card on Friday night at Mohegan Sun, which also plays host to another card on Saturday night, September twelfth, and the bantamweight belt is up for grabs. Now this belt was held by Darian Caldwell. Darian Caldwell went over um, and challenged... Let me let me get this around the right way. Darian Caldwell basically fought uh, Kyoji Horiguchi twice. Fought him in Japan, in Rising. Fought him in Bellator. Horiguchi won both those fights and became a two-promotion champion. We don't get many of them in MMA. So Horiguchi held the Rising Bantamweight title and then won the... Uh, Bellator bantamweight title, unprecedented stuff from Kyoji Horiguchi, who then got injured uh, and uh, did the honourable thing, didn't hang on to the belt any any longer than necessary, dropped both of his titles, spoke to both both promotions, and said, "Look, guys, I can't fight. I'm going to let both my belts go, so you can do your business." So Kai Asakura has since gone on and won the Rising belt, and now Juan Archuleta and Patchy Mix are going to fight for the vacant Bellator bantamweight belt this weekend. Archuleta, I think he won like titles in like three or four different weight classes uh, in King of the Cage before he joined Bellator. Uh, he challenged for the featherweight belt in the opening round of the featherweight Grand Prix against uh, Patricio Pitbull. Came up short on the scorecards in that one. He's now back at bantamweight, which I think is his best weight class. But he's taken on Patchy Mix, who is unbeaten and is a submission magician. He is amazing. That is such a good stylistic matchup. I cannot wait. That is the main event on Saturday night. John Fitch, blast from the past. John Fitch is in the co-main event against Neiman Gracie, uh, who is a rising contender at welterweight. He's looking to bounce back uh, after losing out last time. Uh, and Liz Carmouche, we talked about. Uh, Kat Zingano making her Bellator debut after moving across to the UFC. Another former UFC bantamweight title challenger, Liz Carmouche, the first ever, um, first ever woman to set foot in the octagon, or first ever female fighter to set foot in the octagon. Liz Carmouche, she's going to be taking on Deanna Bennett, who used to be on the Ultimate Fighter, if I remember rightly, uh, at flyweight. So she's looking to move her way up to uh, contend for the belt at 125, which interestingly is held by her teammate, Alima Lay McFarlane. And that main card is kicked off by a lightweight fight between Derek Campos and Roger Huerta. That should be pretty decent as well. That is Bellator 246. 
That's on Saturday night, Bellator 245, Friday night. In the UK, the prelims are on the Bellator app. I don't know about Friday night. I should have to check this. But normally, the the, uh, Saturday fight nights are live on Sky Sports. So we may well get a a live doubleheader on Sky Sports this weekend with the main cards Friday night, Saturday night, prelims on the Bellator app. I think over in the States, it's Paramount and and DAZN for uh, for the main cards over there where you are. Yeah, absolutely. I've been catching these Bellator cards on my DAZN app, which I actually like a lot. There's been a lot of stuff in the news about DAZN and um, whether they're going to stick around combat sports long term. There's been, I guess, the amount of money they've kind of poured into potential boxing fights. And, you know, there's been some stuff going on there. I mean, boxing isn't my beat, but I've been just kind of seeing a few bits and pieces here and there. So it'll be interesting to see, even with Bellator, when this current DAZN deal expires, which I think is, is some point over the next 12 months, how they perhaps transition away from that. We obviously know that Showtime, uh, CBS Sports in the US, is going to be the home for Bellator long-term. And I think everything they're doing right now is just to stay busy, keep the fighters busy, and start to you know, almost re- look and reevaluate how they're running as an organization and see where they can make some changes where they can make some tweaks, what opportunities they can jump on as they kind of head into 2021. I think no one obviously saw what was going to come in 2020. Uh, I think at the start of the year, had you asked me uh, about what my outlook for Bellator was going to be this year, I would have said this is a big year for Bellator. Um, but with COVID, it's more of a as-you-were year for Bellator. Just keep ticking on. I think 2021 is going to be a big year for them now with regards to coming out swinging because while they were you know while the shutters were down on, on Bellator the UFC for the longest period were the only show in, ta- in town not just in combat sports but in sports in general so given the circumstances the UFC have just done incredible uh, with regards to holding events and figuring out um, solutions to problems and of course they have the resources you know both logistically and from uh, a financial standpoint to try and get um, all of the solutions in place for dealing with a, a global pandemic. But uh, glad to see Bellator back. Glad to see some familiar names uh, on both cards. It'll be interesting to see what the results are coming out of that. And then finally, Simon, we've got the UFC back again this weekend from the Apex. It's an interesting main event. Michelle Waterson versus Angela Overhill Kill. Overkill Hill, rather. Uh, she's going to be the very first black female to headline a UFC card. So a bit of history being made this weekend, uh, which is interesting just because of the current climate that we're in. Obviously not the original main event. It's not what the UFC had uh, planned um, for the marquee. But uh, that being said, I'm sure Waterson and Angela Hill were licking their lips when they found out that they were going to be closing the show uh, in Las Vegas. Um, Again, stakes-wise... No real stakes, to be honest with you. That neither of them are anywhere near um, getting a title shot. But it's an important fight, in my opinion, Simon. We got Michelle Watson, and I think she's someone that the UFC have put a lot of stock into. They've definitely, you know, promoted her as well as they could have. I've definitely seen ESPN uh, in in the US do a, um, you know, really give her the, the ESPN treatment uh, since they took control over the UFC rights but she just hasn't delivered consistency in the cage uh, since she's been in the UFC she's won a couple she's lost a couple won a couple uh, lost a couple won a couple she's coming off of back-to-back losses as things currently stand and she's never suffered three losses in a row so I'm sure she doesn't want to make any history with regards to her resume this weekend and then for Angela Hill it's been a fascinating year for her I think I think We've all kind of seen Angela Hill mature and get better as time has gotten on. And I think the biggest takeaway from 2020 for Angela Hill is consistency. This is going to be her fourth fight in 2020. So far this year, she's 2-1. and one, And that one loss was a split decision against Claudia Gidella. Obviously, she's very competitive in that fight. But I think we're finally seeing the best of Angela Hill. So it'll be interesting to see how things kind of play out. But... I guess, what are your expectations uh, from this main event, Simon? And outside of the main event, are there any other fights on the card 
uh, that you're, you're looking forward to or feel as though uh, our listeners should look out for this weekend? Yeah, I mean, the main event, I think, from a stylistic uh, match-up point of view, I think it should serve up a really, really fun fight as a main event. I think, you know, they're both predominantly stand-up fighters. They're both high-output fighters. They're both um, spectacular strikers. They love to stand and trade. Angela Hill has got her Muay Thai background. Michelle Waterson, uh, more sort of traditional martial arts background in terms of sort of almost karate-based. But... It's it's I think it's a great matchup on paper. You know, I think I've I've picked Waterson, but I know a lot of my MMA junkie colleagues have picked Angela Hill. Angela Hill has the form. I think Waterson has the pedigree, uh, but maybe not the form. So it I, it really is a pick and fight. I think you could go either way with it. It's it's a fascinating fight. What you said at, at the uh, at the top where you talked about the uh, the importance of Angela Hill being the first black female to headline a fight shouldn't be underestimated. I think, especially as you say, in the current climate, this is a, this is this is a big story. This is something that hopefully the wider sports media will be able to pick up on as well. Um, and uh, I think you know she she she's got a great personality. She puts herself across brilliantly on social media. She's one of the more one of the more entertaining and amusing follows on social media. She's great value on social media. She's just an all-round, all-round great fighter to follow. Michelle Waterson, from a completely different standpoint, is also a great fighter to follow. She's your, you know, she's a fight mum. She calls herself a fight mum, and uh, she wants to be the first, the first mum to win a UFC title. So, you know, she still has that, has that sort of dream as well. So, really looking forward to the fight. I think he'd be an absolute cracker. Other fights on the card. Look out for the co-main. Otman Azaita is undefeated at 12-0. But he's taking on Karma Worthy. And Karma Worthy, okay, yeah, his record says he's 16-6. He's an absolute monster. And uh, he's scored some huge wins already in the UFC. That will be an interesting one. And scroll down the card a little bit. It's a 12-fight card. Um, it's not been massively promoted as such. But it's at, we've actually got 12 fights on the card. Bobby Green versus Alan Patrick. On my bout list here, it's like the third bout of the night. But Bobby Green, every time he steps into the cage, gives us something. You know, he's either involved in a great fight or he says or does something that that, that translates beyond the contest. He's just someone to keep an eye on whenever he fights. He's must-see TV whenever he fights. I always love watching Bobby Green fight and Alan Patrick will give him a great matchup. And the other fight to look out for is uh, Frank Camacho versus Brock Weaver. Both of these guys do not know how to take a backward step. This fight, I think, was booked a while back, and I think uh, the Weaver wasn't able to compete. Uh, Camacho ended up facing a replacement opponent and losing. Now they've made this fight again. It should be an absolute barn burner. If you were putting a, a bit of red pen around one of the, you know, around some of the bouts that you need to make sure you're not having a pee break for. This is one of them. This one could well end up with the pair of them going home with $50,000 bonuses. That, that's got Fight of the Night written all over it. Camacho versus Weaver. So they would be my picks for uh, for Saturday night. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Brit Pack podcast. For those of you who want to support the show, the best way you can do that, for those of you listening on Apple, give us a rate and review. Much appreciated. Whether it's Spotify or any other uh, podcast platform if there's an ability for you to leave a review a thumbs up double tap to like whatever the case may be that'd be great ultimately though we'd love for you to join us over on our Substack, which is the britpack.substack.com and if you go there you can subscribe with your email and then you can find exactly you know where uh, the podcast is available in addition to getting involved with that growing community of ours over there simon is at simon head on Twitter at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA across the board, and you can find us at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter as well. Awesome stuff! Awesome stuff. Did you know that this weekend is a bit of a landmark for the UFC? It's the twentieth UFC event since COVID hit. 20, really? twenty events. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, twenty. That just shows you what they've. You know, the the the. The, the level of achievement they've been able to put on 20 successful fight night events. So the first one was in Brazil before everything totally shut down. 
they went behind closed doors for that one and then they came out and they've done another another 18 and then this one this weekend at the UFC Apex will be the 20th UFC show of the COVID-19 pandemic um, as you say not the not the most glitzy glamorous card but certainly a card that has historical significance for the sport for the UFC and uh, not, not least of all for the people involved in it so uh, plenty, plenty to catch your attention two Bellator shows and of course that UFC show on Saturday night whether you're watching one of them two of them or all of them enjoy the fights and we'll be back to talk to you about it all next week. Mm-hmm.